0: Good morning, happy Sabbath. We are again blessed. Blessed that you are with us, blessed that the weather's cooled up a bit. But uh, above all, we are blessed to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. We want to invite you to join with us as we are going to read uh, a chapter on unity, that is chapter 4. And Joey and I are delighted uh, that we have the capacity to be united in our conversations with you. Before we do that, though, can we invite you to pray? God of unity, God of harmony, mm. we pray that you bind us together in one spirit, in the spirit of love, spirit of mercy, the spirit of grace. Pray in your name. Amen. Joey, how are you today? What's new in
1: your world? Um, Enjoying the summer. It's been, it's starting to really feel like summer, though. It's getting mm-hmm. hot today i mean it's it's been muggy and mm-hmm. hot and but not as quite as hot as we had suspected it was it was expected at the beginning of the week to get like 110 over there over here and i thought finally we're going to get some loma linda weather no. and it changed up on us as the weather is um, often does
0: it feels like we're in like we're somewhere in florida um, because it <laughs> has been muggier earlier this week but I'm not going to complain because weather in the 90s in Loma Linda in August for camp meeting, um, it's wonderful. Uh, next week, I hear that it is going to reach triple digits. So we will be joining you next week with some traditional Loma Linda weather, unless that changes.
1: Yeah. It just, it, you know, it was interesting because when I went up to Northern California this past, uh, well, a, a week or so ago, um, I thought it felt cool Mm -hmm. up there because it was in the 80s and people who came from who came down from oregon thought it was really hot because it was Mm -hmm. in the 80s so it just goes to show it's the feeling of weather is sort of relative right our experiences (laughs) are often filtered by by how we see things
0: yeah Yeah. relativity uh, is not just a term that you have appearing in physics it is also a term that has to do with your experienced life, with what you do, with how you interact, both with other people and with the environment around you. And I think that as we talk about how things are relative, perhaps that provides a positive segue into te- uh, into talking about what unity means. Yeah. After all, Ephesians is Paul's, Ephesians chapter 4, which is... Uh, the primary content and primary text for this lesson is ultimately Paul's invitation to unity. And so he does so by using some language that is uh, just underlining the importance of being united. Seven times he repeats the word one in the first uh, first few lines of this passage.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, and Paul gets into this, and we'll probably get into this later, but one of the challenges with unity is that idea that we do get stuck in our own perspective. Mm-hmm. We start to see things only from our own perspective and um, think that our viewpoint is the most mm-hmm. important and the most clear. Um, I loved how um, Dr. McVeigh began um, the the lesson study with uh, an Essex fable, a fable from mm-hmm. Essex, um book. And it's, it is so interesting that, you know, he talked about the belly and the 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 legs having to argument about about who's more important, and um, it just goes to show that it can be very it's become it can be very easy to be myopic myopic mm-hmm. right to, to get just so caught up in our own perspective that we miss seeing things from other people's mm-hmm. perspective, which is what is necessary if we're going to be in unity.
0: That's absolutely right, and that's I think what makes it relative. As you were mentioning, uh, Paul takes a little different track than uh, Esseb does in the sense that Paul focuses on the whole of the body and says each one of the members of this body as the introduction to the lesson talked about has a particular purpose, and so Paul is I love the fact that the lesson kind of at least teased out this idea of vocation mm-hmm. uh, a bit. And I think that is so important because we don't need to be united in function, I think, as much as we need to be united vocationally. Mm. And I think that's a really important point that, at li- yes. that if you're not careful as you begin to unravel uh, the contents of the lesson, you might miss... Uh, vocational unity is much more important than functional unity. Yeah, that's a great
1: point. And as we've talked about before, that unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity, right? And so God actually did create us with differences Mm. for a purpose, Mm. but the purpose upon which we operate is unified, Mm -hmm. right? We're all heading that same direction, Mm -hmm. even though we do it in different ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think that that is key. And it's also key that... Uh, what what we are united on is is very is made very clear, and so I think uh, Ephesians chapter four is great, and you know you see that in the lesson as well, as it deals with a statement of faith, a um, a creedal statement. Some scholars refer to the passage that is found in verses uh, three and four Uh, in on as a as one of the earliest Christian creedal statements, perhaps even some scholars would argue a baptismal creedal statement. Mm. So um, it is something that new converts were were able or were asked to assent to and there is just so important uh, to know what they're united about one body one spirit Mm -hmm. one hope one Lord one faith one baptism one God. Mm-hmm. And I think those are things uh, on which we can we can all agree. And so that's, I think the importance of uh, as you're mentioning, to be united in our uh, either purpose or our vocation. Uh, and I think the key to that is as we're seeing here in Paul as he addresses unity, is to try to cast the net broadly yeah. in order to be able, to invite as many people into the tent as you can yeah i love
1: that big tent mentality that paul has and honestly that was the one of the identifying marks of the adventist church in its early years is that it did not want to limit those who Mm. could be a part at that point it wasn't a church right it was a movement a part of the adventist or advent movement because um that's why they shied away from any kinds of creedal statements or statements mm-hmm. that said, Oh, you have to be this way, believe exactly these mm-hmm. things in order to be a part of this community. Mm-hmm. It was it was a journey in one in which they the community itself continued to learn and to grow. As it turned to scripture and studied scripture, it realized, oh, certain things that that um that it didn't believe in the past like um that jesus was not god for example Mm -hmm. it was something that they discovered rediscovered as they searched scripture for themselves And, and and because of that there was a lot of fluidity to the adventist belief system and that one that we still try to hold to today in saying that god can, will the Holy Spirit can continue to lead us into a clear understanding of his word and even a clear expression of those words Um, um when we what of the words we use to describe what we believe mm. God is communicating uh, to us through scripture and so that kind of fluidity in our our beliefs is something that was was present at the very beginning and one that as we've gotten older, you know, there's something about getting older, right? We become more, a little bit more rigid, mm-hmm. right? Both physically and mentally, uh, we don't have as much flexibility. And the, and the Adventist church has been around now for over a century. And so um, it's, it's it be, because of that age, it does sometimes struggle with reclaiming that, that flexibility that
0: it had mm. in its youth. And I was wondering, as as I kind of thought about that a while this week, if perhaps that loss of flexibility that you are referring to isn't a correlated to a loss of vocational mission. Mm-hmm. In other words, when the mission mm-hmm. and you you called it at, at the outside of our, outside of our conversation, purpose. When the mission or the purpose or the vocation of the church, mm-hmm. let's remember. Uh, Ephesians chapter four is written for the church. It's not yeah. something to be consumed individually, yeah. but when the corporate mission, purpose, or vocation of the church isn't clear, it's very easy to begin to lose that flexibility because you you don't you no longer have a common goal that you all are working towards, mm. and in that sense, uh, the question isn't. Uh, how are we? Are we pursuing that goal? But rather uh, the question becomes uh, What what pr- what preferred practices that I have? Um, are the most important mm. and so you as you lose I think uh, Vocation uh, corporate vocation or corporate purpose. I think what ends up happening is you tend to become less flexible hmm. And I think that cool. that bears a conversation. Then uh, perhaps mm-hmm. we can have it, um, and we can start it on what is the true purpose of the church? Because it seems mm. like for for the for the church in Ephesus that was very clear. Yeah, uh, it seems like for the apostolic church that was very clear. Mm. I don't know if. We, we gathered a hundred Adventists together and we said, what is the ultimate purpose of the Adventist church? I'm not sure that there would be as much clarity as, as one would hope. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, I, I do like um, how Paul seems to frame that here is that he, it's ver, verse 11 and 12 and 13, these these verses were actually one of my uh, professors at uh, in seminary's favorite Mm. verses in all of scripture. I only say that because he repeated these verses over and over again, trying to trying to ground into us the importance of understanding what our individual mm-hmm. roles as pastors mm-hmm. were, um, not to do ministry as in do the work of the church, but to empower others mm-hmm. to do the work of the church. But he he would say this, Russell Burrow would love this. He's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Mm -hmm. So the way that I read this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, the way that I read this, is that the vocation of of the church, whether it's pastors, teachers, apostles, or anybody else, right. is to lead the body, is to build up the body of Christ in a way that we reach unity and faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And the way he defines maturity, it seems, is that we we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I take that to mean that that we become like Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So it is a discipleship journey to become like christ
0: that is the mission that he seems to be
1: laying out here is is that how you saw it or
0: yeah i you know what one of the first things that i that i'd like to comment on is i think uh what was brilliant is uh, we read this text a lot and we think that it has to do with ecclesiastical offices mm. and i love the fact that dr mcveigh reminds us that as paul is writing this the church is kind of in a in a state of flux right yeah. so you don't have these defined offices in a church. So rather, it is it is it is a question not of official mm. uh, positions within the church, but as as he read it, and I think I think it bears out uh, with the context that Paul is writing to. It has to do with spiritual gifts, right, yeah. with giftedness. And so yes. the question then becomes: How do people, as part of the body of Christ, entrusted, as we've said, with different gifts, mm. what is the purpose of that giftedness? And he says, ultimately, the purpose of that giftedness is maturity. Mm. And maturity is measured, as I think you said, by, by becoming more Christ-like. And mm. so this idea of discipleship as a journey mm. towards Christ-likeness really, really is borne out in, I think, Ephesians 4, which is, not only, I think, a, a, an important chapter on unity, it's also an important chapter on discipleship. Yes. Because ultimately, the primary purpose of discipleship, the primary purpose of our giftedness, is to equip the saints for work of, works of service. Yeah. And I think the, the definition, or a, as far as vocation, or the vocational flux for the church is left kind of amorphous and broad, purposefully. I think Paul is very purposeful in using this language that is not restrictive. Mm -hmm. He is basically saying, go out, receive the equipment that you need, invest your gifts, I should say, first, Mm -hmm. in order to equip others. And and we can understand that as... Uh, the key component of discipleship, right? Pour into others so that they may discover their gifts. And then as you are serving one another, uh, unity and maturity will follow. And that maturity will be evidenced, not uh, in any other way, but but by your adherence uh, to this principle of a living Christ-like lives. So, I find it really interesting that Joey, in a time that is not devoid of theological controversy yeah. or in, in, in a church that is not uh where there's not theological arguments swirling around, mm-hmm. the prime proof as 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 one would say that Paul posits isn't theological. Mm-hmm. It's behavioral. Yeah. Um, And I thought that was really, as I was reading this this week, I thought that was so interesting because you and I know that the early church was every bit as contentious theologically as ours today. And it seems interesting that the ultimate test of orthodoxy wasn't the ascent to to a particular theological formula although one could argue that's given before in very broad terms with yeah. Paul's uh, invitation to oneness, but rather it's behavioral. And yeah. so um, I think that makes the vocational conversation a little simpler because you can actually go out and, and analyze your church and say, how well are we living out this call to be Christ-like? Hmm. Wow. Wow.
1: And not only that, well, let me let me cover something else and then come back to that because she said so many good things. Um, the first is, yeah, I love how you highlighted how Dr. McVeigh talks about um, the office of the teacher and the the, the mm-hmm. pastor, which is not an office. Mm-hmm. In 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 our 21st century ma- mindset, right. we think of those as trained professionals, mm-hmm. teachers and pastors are trained professionals. And he makes the point that it's very clear that um, those were most likely lay positions, Mm -hmm. right? These are just people who have been gifted. So I love your focus on giftedness, that we're not, um, Paul is not setting up a a separate group of people who have a a higher position Mm -hmm. rank because um, the church, because they've received certain training and the church has decided to recognize their authority. That's not what he's pointing on. He's actually saying God gives gifts, a variety of different gifts, but all of that giftedness is to lead towards maturity, which is to become Christlike. Mm. And I, you know, what you said about orthodoxy um, being not measured by any content of knowledge or a of beliefs or a theology, but more about are we growing to become mm. Christlike? That is so powerful because I know I know there are people. Um, I've had conversations with people when I do baptismal studies, sometimes they struggle with not knowing enough. They, they don't think they're ready to be baptized because they don't know enough about, Mm. about God. And I always tell them baptism is the beginning of your Mm. relationship with God. And if baptism is the beginning of the relationship with God and not the graduation Mm. of your relationship with God, that means it's the start of your knowledge with him. All you have to all you have to know at the beginning of this relationship is that you want to follow him, mm. that you see the, the destructiveness of sin in your life, you repent of that, ask God forgiveness, and want to follow him to a better future. That's that's what baptism symbolizes. It's a public declaration right. of, of that decision we've made privately in our hearts. And so I, I think I think understanding that, understanding that this is a journey that we engage on, that our members engage on, helps us to understand that we don't have to have everything together in order to be a part of that fellowship of Christ. And I think the question that as as leaders of these congregations, whether you're an elder or a deacon or a pastor, as leaders of the congregation, we need to ask ourselves is, are we being faithful to that mission in that are our actions helping to lead people closer to Jesus mm. or are we pushing them away? Right. Because we've seen in Jesus's time how religious leaders often got in the way mm. of people coming to Jesus. Mm. And we, we look at that and we mock them for that. But I wonder, do we ever, because of our hangups and our, our, our belief structures, ever get in the way of someone becoming closer
0: to God? I think we, I think the sad reality and the sad answer to that question is, yes, we, mm-hmm. we do. And so I think Paul uses these, these really powerful images to kind of contrast, right. So you have this church w- that is capable of coalescing all this different giftedness for one purpose. and the purpose is intentionally broad, as we mm-hmm. said, right? So you have let's try to attain maturity in Christ and then you have kind of the flip side of the coin and Paul gives again these these three wonderful word pictures right he says you'll be like infants yeah he gives so he gives the picture of childhood that mm-hmm. where you're where you're being you're not completely sure of what it is that your purpose is Uh, He gives the picture of being adrift at sea, you know, being tossed. And then he gives the picture of being swayed uh, by schemes or uh, some other uh, versions render this kind of like gambling, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have these three pictures that I think are sometimes more evocative of what churches look like Mm -hmm. in the sense that... Do you have these 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 churches that are or or these groups, these congregations these uh, these families of believers that are constantly moving and constantly shifting uh, their their belief system or their missiology or uh, the way they package uh, their services because there isn't uh, the ability to be grounded mm. in this in this thing that is that is mature and let's face it, maturity allows for diversity. Mm. That is, I think, the ultimate test of maturity. Yes, that you allow uh, for people to have, as you were mentioning a few moments ago, the capacity to hold uh, beliefs that sometimes are in tension with your own. Yeah, uh, so you can you can gauge a congregation's maturity by the diversity of viewpoints espoused in that congregation
1: wow that's that is a powerful statement that you can gauge a congregation's maturity by the diversity of viewpoints found in the congregation because sometimes i mean what the church has often done in the past is said well we need purity in Mm -hmm. the church um not necessarily maturity but mm. purity in the church and that means that we all see things mm-hmm. exactly the same way and yet you're pushing back on that and and the fear is of course exactly what Paul like you you brought out Paul is is bringing up here well if we don't all see things the same way then we're going to be tossed to and fro by our environment like whatever society says we're just going to align with right, whatever society right, right. says or um the devil is the other argument that i've often heard was the devil is constantly trying to pervert god's church Mm -hmm. right and so that means we have to guard the the boundaries Mm -hmm. of god's uh, of these beliefs Mm -hmm. otherwise god is satan is going to slip in these Mm -hmm. falsehoods and i agree there are i'm not saying that the devil isn't trying to um Mm -hmm. twist our uh, the, the ways that we see god that's Obviously, clear from Scripture that uh, that the devil does do that. He tries to twist people's minds, right? They they said the uh, Satan's name are Lucifer, Satan, and the devil, or LSD, right? Because he changes the way that oh, we see good. things. That's right? good. That's I like that.
0: That's good. That's clever.
1: <laughs> that's not mine. That was somebody else. But so that is absolutely true. That is Satan's way of operating. But he does it in a way not just to not just to pervert some beliefs, just some belief structure, but to to twist our relationship with mm-hmm. God and with each other. Mm-hmm. If you see, even in the Garden of Eden, the issue there was not um, understanding complex things about theology. Mm-hmm. It was understanding, do you trust that God loves mm-hmm. you? Do you trust that he knows what he's talking about? It was a relational issue mm-hmm. that Satan... Yeah. So when Satan twists our view, it's to twist our our relationship, break our relationship mm. with God and our relationships mm. with each other. And so that's why I love this, uh, how Paul describes that maturity. He says that maturity is the anchor that keeps us from being being tossed by the right. winds, being confused by Satan's schemes. Maturity is what will help us. And that maturity is having, attaining what he says later on here, um, is attaining the fullness of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. To grow, um, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ, mm-hmm. right? So that is something that we all need. And um, that is the anchor. Becoming Christ-like is the anchor, not just trying to preserve what we our view of him may have been in the past, but to become more and more like him every day as individuals, but also as a church community mm. of faith.
0: And let's face it, seldom has the sin of the church been that it has become too inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there
1: may be some people who argue against that,
0: but I, I, I agree. I would, I agree. and I mean, I, I, I'm, <laughs> as, as you as you started saying that, I kind of started thinking, yeah. hmm, when is it that the church was seen as perverting God's God's teaching because it accepted too many people? Yeah. Um, it te- it we tend for some reason, uh, to kind of go the other way, right? Huh. Our tendency when we when we pervert the teachings that God has yeah. is we tend to move towards rigidity. Mm. That's kind of our default position the church. Wow. We have 2000 years of of I think Christian history mm. that that proves that the biggest failures of the church were never that it became too compassionate and too inclusive. Mm-hmm. It was always that it became it became too exclusive and too rigid. Wow. Now, wow. I think the reason for that, and this, because uh, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, "Well, well, what it, is he saying that everything goes?" No, that's not what we're saying. No. What I'm saying is that this move towards rigidity comes. From a lack of being anchored, mm. so think about why you're so rich, why you need to be so rigid. And I'm going to give you an analogy that I thought about uh, this week. So um, some of you might know, I have some of you that live in my community and see me in the mornings and say, "Hey, are you always out here?" They'll see me in my in my garden. Um, that's kind of my. That is one of the things that I do to decompress. And so I have this tree. Um, that has been giving me fits. And the reason it's giving me fits is that the soil uh, that we have in our front, uh, because we our, our home was built very close to the water table, isn't deep enough. Mm. And so the roots can't grow deep enough. And so what we've needed to do with that tree is we've needed to provide a lot of stability for it. So we've created this whole framework that allows the tree some stability so that it continue to grow without without toppling over. Compare that to—we um, celebrated my niece's 12th birthday of, uh, last just last week, and so uh, she wanted to go to Kern Valley Whitewater Rafting, and we took a little detour to the sequoias, which is one of my favorite parts in the world. And you see these magnificent trees, and nothing—the ar- environment doesn't affect them. They don't need to be rigid because the roots are so deep that nothing is going to move them Mm -hmm. so when i say that the church has always kind of swerved towards rigidity and exclusivism it's because we haven't been mature enough wow wow wow
1: that is so powerful because we haven't been rooted in Christ, that's an imagery that Paul uses oh, often, right? that's an imagery right?
0: that he uses. Yeah,
1: like. because we're not as deeply rooted in Christ. The deeper we're rooted in Christ, the more flexibility we can have up top and not mm-hmm. break. But it's when when we're not deeply rooted mm-hmm. that we need more stif- we feel mm-hmm. like we need more rigidity in order not to be swayed because we don't know. And you see that even with regular human development, mm-hmm. right? like children need more black and white because they don't have the maturity to handle the gray. Mm. But the older we get, we become more comfortable with handling the gray because we know more, we understand more, it's a deeper understanding. So the rules that were black and white as children, Mm. we realize there is a lot more flexibility there. And so yes, part of maturity, and that's not to say that because someone's immature, they are wrong, it's just a stage in life. Mm And we see this with christians as well right if a lot of new christians when we first come to faith i remember when i was younger things were very black and white Mm -hmm. there were things that there was no give on as i become older i can i see where there can be flexibility Mm -hmm. and things not break Mm -hmm. right my 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 relationship with god does not break that's not that i'm not necessarily that i'm looking to push all the limits it's, also, it's just understanding that there is a fullness to God that cannot be constrained by my black and white mm-hmm. thinking, right? And so I love that imagery of maturity that
0: leads to flexibility rather than rigidity. Right, and so think about the image that Paul uses right here that we just talked about, right? He talks about being tossed around, but the preceding image is you're like a child. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're looking at this 2,000 years later with the bevy of information we have on childhood development. Paul isn't saying that these churches that are, that are infantile are wrong. Paul is saying the purpose of the church is to grow in maturity in Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that capacity to be flexible on top, because you're sure enough of the things that matter. And that's why I love the fact that mm-hmm. Paul starts this whole this whole passage with the things that matter, yes. right? He says, on these things, there is no give. There mm-hmm. is, uh, and let's see it again, one body, mm-hmm. right? One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, the Father of all. Those things are the things that can, those seven things are the things that can ground you. Mm. And the rest of this of this stuff does allow for some flexibility because you are confident that you have mastered these seven things. Wow. I think the problem with a lot of us is that we start for that which is kind of on the outside or we start building, if you wanna continue the word picture, we start with what's on top of the tree rather than uh, by focusing on what these seven roots are, these things that are going to give us maturity and uh, rigid flexibility, if you were. Yeah, that's strength.
1: And, I mean, that's why we temper steel, right? Because steel that is not tempered is rigid and can Mm. crack, but there is a strength that comes from flexibility, which is why they put, when they make knives or swords, they always tempered it so that it wouldn't shatter Because that flexibility actually gives it additional Mm. strength. And that's why, I I mean, the the values that he gives right at the beginning in verse 2, before he talks about the one body Mm -hmm. one, he says, this is what you need in order to create, maintain unity within your community Mm. of faith, right? These three values, right? He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. That idea of humility, that humility is thinking of others more, mm-hmm. like other-centered focus. Gentleness, which um, I loved how um, Dr. McVeigh yeah. described gentleness. I always thought his gentleness is just being very, like, almost weak or mm-hmm. meek. But he says gentleness is actually not being overly concerned with self, mm-hmm. right? And I love that imagery that um, and that's that's where immaturity often shines, is that we become overly concerned with ourselves. When we're not properly grounded, our identity is not grounded in Christ, we become a little bit too concerned about how other people think about us. We get too concerned about thinking about ourselves mm-hmm. and how we appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when people, ha- you can sense a maturity in people when they can laugh at themselves mm-hmm. and not feel bad. Not- they can, you know... Um, say apologize for for making mistakes because they realize that you know that fo- those foibles are a part of a part of them and it but it doesn't change their identity in Christ right that kind of gentleness and then patience which he describes as long suffering mm-hmm. you know that long suffering with each other if, if we can do that not take ourselves too seriously to think of others more and be patient with one another wow. How much more united could Mm. the body of Christ be if we exhibited these qualities?
0: And I think that's the invitation for leaders. I think a lot of times, because ultimately, uh, if you kind of follow Paul's elegant argument, he's talking to to leaders, to people who have been gifted and entrusted with with these amazing capacities. And he says, look, a lot of times you're going to look uh, for leaders that can move the needle. And I think we're all, we're all attracted to that. We're all attracted uh, to people that are boisterous and that have the capacity to inspire. And I think some of those uh, traits are very, very useful. Mm-hmm. But Paul doesn't list those as his primary traits for both maturity and Christian leadership. Mm-hmm. He says, as you're mentioning, gentleness, patience, humility, and uh, this this self self loving uh, self effacing love I should mm-hmm. say, and I was reading just this week kind of in connection to this uh, J P Greenman who who writes on the issue of Christian leadership, defining the mature Christian leader as one with the capacity to remain a non anxious presence mm-hmm. in the middle of whatever chaos may come. Yeah. And I think that is so important. It's so important to have this capacity because your other focus to remain, if not calm, then definitely focused on the vocation and on the mission. And too often we, we possess a, a life and a structural philosophy that is very reactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see something happen and immediately we we want to react to it because I think, as, as you're mentioning, both individually and a lot of times institutionally and corporately, we are very, very concerned with how we are going to be perceived. And I think to be non-anxious, both as individuals and as as, as institutions, Uh, The invitation is to remain other-focused.
1: Yeah, I love that. That imagery of a non-anxious presence. Because if you've ever been around a leader like that, who in the midst of the storm can remain focused, calm, and not let the environment shift them, Mm -hmm. still remain connected to what's happening, engaged in what's happening, but not let the anxiety of what's happening around them bleed into their Mm -hmm. own hearts, that is a powerful thing, because that person is able to change their environment instead of becoming like the environment. And that's the imagery that Paul uses, mm-hmm. right? We live in a world, as you pointed out, that's full of anxiety. It's the winds of anxiety are blowing mm-hmm. everywhere all the time. Everything, I mean, I love I love I love our news organizations because they play an, a key role in keeping um, leadership and power accountable, mm-hmm. right? um they call out things and they ask hard questions both both of our news organizations outside of the church and within the church right religious organizations as well they they point out um point out challenges and difficulties and they ask difficult questions which are very very necessary but they are not great at growing non anxious people mm. right mm. they do tend to they too tend to be part of the wind that blows anxiety mm-hmm. into people's lives. And part of it is, you know, that's what people click on. You know, you see a headline that is provocative. Mm. That's what people are going to click on. And in order to function as an organization, you need people to read your stuff. And so you're going to create the most controversial or most clickable um, headline that you can, right? So there, those are not great. So the winds, winds of... Of, of, of all of that anxiety, those those news organizations are not great for growing um, non-anxious people. So where does that come from? Well, according to Paul, it's by being grounded in Christ, mm. right? Being grounded in Christ, that one faith, one baptism, one, one Christ, one Lord, one God, right? Um, one spirit, all of those things being grounded, having our identity grounded in Christ and growing to become like him becoming to love like Jesus loves, doing that is what allows us not to be blown by the winds Mm -hmm. of anxiety and to be that non-anxious presence.
0: And that is so important that you're mentioning kind of the world we live in, because that I think is such an apropos connection to what Paul is, is attempting to connect us with yeah and so the the invitation isn't just for us as individuals to remain non-anxious presence it's for the church amidst a world that is blowing to for the church to remain a non-anxious presence and paul as you i think so rightly are noting is saying the way you do that is you learn to love like jesus and the question then it's It's not that complicated. I don't know how we make it that complicated. They asked Jesus, how do we love? And Jesus says, well, if you only love those that are your friends or those that agree with you, how different are you from the rest of the world? Even the pagans do that. I mean, this is what he says in response to this question. (laughs) And yet it seems that the information we consume and the conversations we participate are kind of directed at reinforcing these silos where you don't have the capacity to test your flexibility Mm -hmm. and your maturity by engaging with people that have different viewpoints you talk about the news uh, organizations both in and out of the church i'm going to give you just one example this week this past week um, some of you know. Finally, uh, the general conference put a statement out on uh, the issue of human sexuality, mm-hmm. and it was front and center in a lot of the com- uh, com- more traditional uh, news organizations within the Adventist Church. It was a, a sermon by Pastor Mark Finley, mm-hmm. uh, and in it he said, uh, "I have to speak." Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think Pastor Mark is a is a Christian man. I think he's a, he's a brother in Christ. Um, but what what worried me a little bit about the content of the sermon is that it was very very similar to some of the stuff I, I hear in some conservative media outlets. Mm. Um, there was very little difference between what I heard from him and what I would hear from uh, any of your conservative media outlets. Then I turned the page and I said, okay, well, what's the other news? A- what are the other news agencies in the in in our church talking about? and front and center, uh, the, the more uh, progressive, uh, one of our more, more progressive uh, news, news organization that I also read it and, and I love, and I have a lot of people whom I love there, uh, says, does the general conference want you to leave? That was the, the, I don't know if you read that, but that was like the front right. and center of the article. And it was the same exact uh, piece. Uh, they were dealing with the same exact subject, but again, from from a, from a standpoint that I thought was a bit sensationalist. Mm-hmm. And so the question would be, okay, great. That's how news hap- that's how news happens out in the world because we want to sell newspapers. But I think as religious organizations and as, as part of the church, we actually have a responsibility to invite people to engage in A conversation with people that disagree with them, regardless of of what position, and we're not going to advocate for either of them, we're simply going to say that there is a problem when our church is starting to mirror culture, um, rather than us actually begin to ask the question, how do we foster maturity, Mm -hmm. flexibility, and diversity, but more importantly, conversation within the Adventist church.
1: Yeah, because that's ultimately what builds this unity mm-hmm. that is at the heart of Paul's message mm-hmm. here is, right? And again, that unity is not formed by rigidity. Mm. The, that That is so powerful because often when we think about unity, we think that we have to use force and rigidity to get everyone to conform to a certain way of doing things. And that's how unity mm-hmm. will be created. That's how the church has tried to create unity in the past Um, not just the Adventist church, the Christian church, so many times. And it's like we can't ever learn from our mistakes because every time that happens, instead of unity, we get fracturing, Mm -hmm. right? Every time that happens, things break apart. And yet Paul here is very clear that unity is not a function of that kind of rigidity. It is a function, as you have said, a grounding in that purpose of leading people closer to God, whatever it is. Whatever that journey will look like, and it's gonna look like, look a little bit different for all of us because we're all different people, but that we are there to help them to take one step closer to Christ, not our step closer to Christ, but a step closer Mm. to Christ, right? And we do that by having gentleness, humility, and patience. That's how we create unity. Mm. And I wonder, I wonder how the reformation of, of the Christian church would have been different, different if the Pope at that time had gentleness, mm. Mm. humility, and patience, mm-hmm. right? Because Martin Luther never wanted to mm. leave the church. He loved the church. He never wanted to leave. He didn't want to start another denomination. It was fractured because of a refusal to demonstrate these
0: qualities, mm. right? The sad reality is that we're not we're not as different as as some people would have you believe. Like I, again, I, re, I try to read, and I think that's what you're you're alluding to. I try to engage with as many news sources and voices as I can. And it's simply because that allows me to start seeing other viewpoints, not as viewpoints. But as people, as yeah. people that are trying to make sense of a world that is, let's face it, difficult. And I think if you were to, to come and bring every single faction of of our Adventist church, both those that read uh, the sermon that was presented last Saturday and said, yes. And then, finally, someone's speaking truth to power. And then those on the other side that said, do they really want me to leave? I think I'm going to leave. Finally, someone's advocating for for a split. I think if we were to bring both those factions here and say, okay, do you believe that the primary purpose of the church is to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and reach maturity? I think they would agree. (laughs) It's true. And so... I just wonder what it would look like if we started saying, okay, what does equipping the saints look like vocationally? Yeah. Forget about theologically because I think that's where we get into that's where we get into struggles. Let's face it. I am protective of two things, my kids and my family and my theological viewpoints, mm. right? I'm very protective of those. So I think that's the wrong way to start building consensus. I think the right way to start building consensus is through vocation. And I'll give you one example. I am blessed to be in Loma Linda. Blessed to be in Loma Linda because we have people that worship with very, very traditional viewpoints and they meet and they're wonderful people and I worship with them at our Advent Hope Service here in Loma Linda. And then we've got people that have a bit more a modern take on what it means to be church and I worship with them and my wife actually attends their service and we love uh connecting with our anthem service two two very different ways mm. of understanding church service and I would even dare to say theology yeah you know there's one place though that they unite every Thursday night we have uh, a shower a service and we have food and we have haircuts and we have uh, clothing for for people that uh, are unhoused, mm-hmm. and our Advent Hope crowd comes and they serve and they embody Jesus, and our Anthem crowd comes and they serve and they embody Jesus, mm-hmm. and every single thing in the mu- in the middle comes, and there is a, a real sense of unity in that. Why? Yeah. Because we put the theology aside for a moment. And I'm not saying theology is not important. I mean, I I think. I am, uh, we are some of the most committed people to theological thought that I know. But, I think you start by vocation, and then you allow vocation to inform your theology. The problem sometimes is that we do it the other way. Yeah, to recognize that we are still all called,
1: despite the different ways that we may see God, Mm -hmm. we are all called to demonstrate love to our fellow Mm -hmm. man. And, as you pointed out before, we don't grow in that maturity in love. We don't grow in our love for other people. We don't grow in, in our maturity with Christ by, um, by only loving the people who agree with us, who think like us, who look like us, right? So God's calling is to love those we have the hardest time mm. loving. And that is different for all of us, mm. right? For some of us, it may be one group of people. For another, it may be another type of person. Whoever... We have the hardest time loving. Those are precisely the type of people, that the people whom God has called us to love.
0: And here's the secret. Don't tell anyone. But if you love those people, the one who's going to be blessed is you mm. because your worldview is going to be both enriched and broadened. Amen. Joey, we've as always had a wonderful conversation. I wish we could continue talking about unity amidst the tumultuous times we do, but our time, alas, is up. So, will you pray with us as we as we depart and hope to see you next week? Let's pray.
1: Our good and gracious God, thank you for being a God of unity, a God who, despite our misunderstandings of who you are, our variety of ways of living on this earth, you still came down so that you could bridge that gap and be with us. That has been your dream ever since humans walked away, to be with us and be our God. And so because you are our God, we are the people who have, have called you, God. We ask that you help us to bridge those gaps in our lives and be united with people who may
0: see you differently than we do, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll see you next week. This week, try to do yourself a favor. Have a conversation with someone that that disagrees with you. Otherwise, life loses all its zest and all its spice. Remember, Jesus called you to be salty. So we'll see you next week as you live and breathe as salt bearers. (music)